Welcome to Punchboard Paradise, a podcast coming to you from the heartland of America in Omaha, Nebraska, where we discuss the world of tabletop gaming, the topics that affect the board game community, and give honest and fair reviews of the industry's hottest games. In episode 21, the Punchboarders talk recent plays, reach into Richie's mailbag, and review Architects of the West Kingdom. Hi everyone, I'm Clef. Hey, I'm Chad. Now I'm Richie. So Clef, have you uh, headed over to our guild to see how you're doing in the designer's draft poll? I, I said during the episode, this was a slam dunk for Chad. I wasn't even worried about it. How many, how many votes do I have? Uh, right now, zero. As we're, <laughs> People! As we're Simone Luciani, Grand Austrian Hotel, Marco Polo, Newton, they're, Zolkin. They're, they're good games. They're good they're games. Solid. Can somebody... Hey, first person who votes for me, I'm going to give them a free board game. Oh, my no. gosh. What the heck? <laughs> hey, wait, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Yeah. I'm going to give you one of these crappy ones off the South <laughs> Now, even though Chad is crushing us, I really think if like we were in a bar with our teams and a bar fight broke out, I'm taking my team every time. Wait, what? You say your designers can kick my designers' butt? Yeah. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. <laughs> what the heck? Go Get Fister. <laughs> that's not true at, at, at all because I've seen Uwe Rosenberg bench, and he can bench like 450. No, I mean, that's... why does Chad know that? That's my first <laughs> that, that, question. That's a good question. <laughs> and uh, Stefan Feld would just confuse you. He'd be like, he'd be the master of distractions. And you would just, I mean, you'd get a stool over your head before you even knew what was happening. I would just throw a bucket of brown paint at me or something. Oh, boy. You're, you, the problem is Richie's still salty. I mean, he's still salty. Yeah, he salty. actually, earlier tonight, he was like, I was going to have all my German designers, and I was going to, it was going to be perfect, and I'm still a little bit mad at you. He was, he, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <sighs> at least I have a couple votes. That's all that matters. Okay, all All's right. fair. Hey, uh, I'm good. It, sometimes, I can't win them all. No, nope, you can't. You uh, can't. I, I picked what I felt was, was my best designers, and- Chad went with all the safe ones. So, oh come on, they're good. That's the problem. They're good. That's good. You had the first pick and you messed it up. I wanted to ask: Didn't you guys go to to Jake's in the snowstorm the other night? Well, it wasn't a snowstorm when we got there. Yeah, the the roads were actually pretty uh, dry when we headed out there. But yeah, let's just say I'm I'm not sure I saw the road on the way home. Yeah, <laughs> it was nasty. It was nasty. It was pretty bad. Yeah, I'd like to forget that night though. That was uh, yeah. <laughs> well, we played uh, Feast for Odin with uh, Dan, one of your favorite games. Is that right, Clef? Yeah, yeah, right up there with Great Western Trail. Right there is Feast for Odin, <laughs> or not? It's a good game. <laughs> Here's what I've learned. About Clef, if he if it's a like a medium to heavyweight euro, yeah, and he doesn't like it, it's because he's terrible at it. Yes, and that is why. You, you're <laughs> That's right. the only reason he doesn't like it. You are totally correct in this. A lot of times when he says he doesn't like a game, it'll be it'll be because you know he's he's not winning it. That is not true. <laughs> that and because he is he's usually intimidated if a designer can bench more than he can. So <laughs> that is true. Uh, that is not true. I can name a numerous games that I am terrible at that I still very much enjoy. Okay, two. Uh, Croftwagen. I'm terrible at that game. I haven't played that one with you. Uh, I'm very bad at that one. But you um, beat me at it when you taught me. Well, yeah, but I'm talking normal people that I play <laughs> against. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> 
No, I thought you beat me. I don't think so. Or it was really oh, okay. But it's really close. It is your first play, and I played it like fifteen times. <laughs> yes. Um. Okay, I'll give you another one. <laughs> okay, here's what I love. He's just looking at the show. Uh, no, I'm pretty good at that. Uh, no, pretty good at that one too. Coimbra. I've never won a game of Coimbra. Yep. And guess what? Uh, I've kind of <laughs> soured on that game. I don't know. Really, I no. like that game. <laughs> right don't away. Get, like, uh, I just, uh, that, uh, you know, it's fine, but uh, that it's game. It's still on his shelf, but, you know. Yeah, has, he, has, he has thought about it. I disagree. Uh, well, here's what I, here's what I will say. <laughs> if I am not enjoying a game, I'm probably not as invested in it as when I enjoy a game. Oh, that yeah, that's definitely true for you. Okay, I will give you that. <laughs> I will give you that. You should have seen him when the crokinole board hit the table. Oh yeah, <laughs> it was a, a few size. Ah, okay. <laughs> You're just flicking a disc. <laughs> just I don't know. I it just doesn't do anything for me. But see, to me, I don't see much difference from a completely physical standpoint between that and darts. You know, so because I know you enjoy darts, and I to me, it's, there's not much difference. It's just kind of a different playing service and. Um, I don't invite people over to play darts. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not, I'm not kidding. You know I mean? I, I don't know. I think Jake has played Crokinole something like 800 times since he's gotten his board. I mean, I own a dart board. I don't play darts that much. I'm just saying it's not for me. That's all okay. I'm saying. All, all right. right. Yeah. I'll stop bashing on you. Well, you, yeah, I was about to say, is this turned into Punchboard Paradise bash on Clef episode? <laughs> I've been getting, I've getting, been getting emails that they really enjoy that and you're an easy target. So. Oh boy. Oh boy. But you, you, you enjoyed it, right, Reggie? Yeah, it was a really good game. And uh, this is my first time uh, playing a three player game. Because before, all I had played was I played one solo game and then one two-player game. Uh, so it was nice having a little bit more interaction out there. Even though, I mean, in this game, it's a worker placement, and you have 66? 66 or 6,000, one of the two. <laughs> yeah, space is on there. So I wouldn't ever say that you're really... It's rare when someone goes to your space. I mean, unless you're both kind of going after the same um, strategy, it really didn't seem like people got in your way. But, you know, it's standard... Uh, Uwe, it's worker placement, and then you you have patchwork tacked on there. But I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed, and I filled my board completely. I demolished Clef and Dan, so I was very happy. I don't even know. Demolish might be a nice word. <laughs> it, it, it was bad. Isn't going out to, to get those islands or whatever that are other land to fill up boards on, isn't that one of the best strategies generally? Maybe. None of us did it. So <laughs> I thought okay. you got a spare board that you scored some points off of. No, at the end of the game, Dan, because I was saying, like, basically it's my third play, and I've never seen anyone take any of those boards. And I had, like, 20 coins left over, and Dan was just pointing out to me that I probably could have and maybe should have gone out to one of those islands, taken those islands, and filled it up with some of the, some of my resources. And, you know, I had a ton of coins I could have covered it up with and probably turned those, you know, 20 coins into more points, basically. Right. It's something about when I play Caverna or when I play, you know, Feast for Odin, I just don't, I don't know, I just, I don't feel like I have, maybe it's because I just, it's too much for me to have a strategy. Where like if I'm playing a very tight, like say Lacerda type of game where, you know, Gallerist, where I've got four actions to go to, that is more in my comfort level than when I have 66 actions to go to. It's just, there's just too much. Every time I look out at that board, I'm just like, I have no idea what I'm trying to do. And then I'm trying to play Tetris while I'm trying to place worker placements. <laughs> and then I'm trying to do this weird feed the people thing. It's like, how many different things do you need in one game? Well, it's interesting to me, uh, particularly because of the 
this spot takes this many workers and this spot takes this many workers. I like that aspect of it. But I agree with you there, Clef. It's kind of funny. One of our mutual friends who is actually, I think, involved in the uh, playtesting of this game and, and works in the board game industry, he, he it's one of his favorites he was kind of arguing with me because i said how much i liked lacerda games and and in particular i think lisboa and he was kind of like oh yeah but there's no restraint in that game and you know that everything's thrown into that game and i was kind of like wait from the guy who likes feast for odin what (laughs) wow (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean i would say i agree that there is a lot going on i just i had uh, i just went off my occupation cards basically the cards that i had in my hand i just built a strategy around that I think that's what you got to do in the game. It it can feel a little bit of a you know s- solitaire ish when you're playing it a little bit just just because of that fact because there's so much going on and you really just kind of bury your head in your your cards and whatever you're doing and you don't really pay attention unless someone's in your way. But overall, I I really enjoyed it and I've been enjoying it. So it's it's definitely something that's going to stick around. And I'll get a few more plays in of. Mm, cool. I'll play it with you sometime. Cool. Yeah, I won't. All right. Um, yeah, so later after you left that night, Richie, we got in a play of a classic Alhambra, which is a tile laying placement game. In Alhambra, the goal is to try to score the most victory points, but you have different color tiles that you're grabbing to kind of put in your city. And then at certain points, there'll be a majority scoring of who has the most in certain in each color. And then you'll also score for some borders. So you're just kind of putting this kind of city together. The unique thing about this game, though, is is whenever you pay for your tile with exact money, you get another action, whether that be to buy another tile or to go get money from the from the uh, up face cards that you get the money from, you get to take a second action. So you really want to try to have as many variable amounts of money as you possibly can when you go to buy these tiles and then have kind of those chain reactions of, you know, Ooh, I, you know, I hit two or three tiles all in the same turn. So there was a lot, you know, it's, it's has some luck in it because it's, Sometimes you get lucky. We played a five-player game, which I felt like was pretty random in the fact where if I got some money and was ready to buy a tile, by the time it got back around to me, that tile was long gone, and now there's a different value up, and whether you could get it or not with the exact money was kind of up in the air. Uh, Dan did say, uh, you know, Dan taught me this game again, and he said it's he likes it a little bit better at three because you have a little bit more planning that you can do and a little bit more, uh, you know, just it's not as random, I guess, is the way you should put it. I have wanted to get my hands on this game, and I, too, have never played it, but it seems like a really good family game, you know, something that everybody's comfortable playing, but you still have some good decisions to make, and so, you know, I, I would still like to to get my hands on it and give it a play. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun. I I enjoyed it. You didn't have any expansions with it, correct? No, uh, Dan kind of talked to me about a little bit of the expansions, but we did not. Um, I don't even know if he had any, but he said most of the time it just adds a lot more complexity to what is supposed to be just kind of a simple tile laying game. And so, it, you know, at least for my first play, I was glad we just kind of played the base game. We didn't play anything. Uh, at least I don't think it had any expansions. In it. And that was by Dirk Hen, right? Alhambra by Dirk Hen, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, Richie, uh, you played it. Yeah, I played it a few times, and I enjoyed it. It's a good, you know, family weight game. And I mean, as far as the expansions go, because they have a big box out there, and I would say maybe like one or two of them. It's kind of like Fresco, you know, where they they kept making little mini expansions, and then the more you tack on there, you I mean, you might as well just sit down and play Brass or some other heavy game, you know, instead of trying to explain all these rules for this what's supposed to be a family weight game. Yeah, there's there was that Kickstarter 
earlier this year that had all those different designers like uh, Stefan Feld had one and gosh, uh, oh, uh, the designer of Coloretto. Um, can't think of his name. Uh, just a bunch of different designers had other expansions into this huge sort of deluxe box that they're putting out. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Maybe 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 there are some some interesting um, expansions within there. there. There was a really good episode of the Longview podcast, actually, where somebody who was really an expert in it talked about it and which ones were their favorites. And so if you guys ever listen to the Longview podcast, I'd highly recommend that. So Well, that was Richie and I's kind of... Uh game playing that we've kind of hit here lately chad what have you uh been playing i did not get to go to that game playing party unfortunately but i did get to play a game that i recently acquired it had been on sale which was good uh it was called steamrollers little roll and write oh nice yeah so i picked this up because it was on uh on sale on amazon and we had played a couple rounds of it Richie and I had played a couple rounds of it at Origins. Yeah. And uh, quite enjoyed it. Uh, it was 50 bucks, though, MSRP. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And, I mean, I, I, I love Stronghold Games and what they put out, but there's no way on earth I'm going to pay $50 for a Rollin' Right, because that's what this is. It's it's basically Steam or Age of Steam Rollin' Right, which, hey, that's that's great. But I'm not going to—I mean— MSRP. It's the same as Teotihuacan. <laughs> that that thing came out for fifty bucks, and you're and you're talking about a Roland Wright versus <laughs> Teotihuacan, and it's just yeah. So anyway, this was on sale at a much more reasonable price, so I jumped on it and uh, I got in a couple plays of it. I got in a solo play. I got in a uh, play with I think three players. It's a nice game. I I really enjoyed it. Basically, what you're doing is you roll dice, and there was one that is track. You got two pieces of track on each side of the die, and then you've got uh, pip number die, and those correspond to a big map. And that big map has different regions that correspond to those die. And there are also different colors of cargo, which are going to the different colored regions on the map. So you are choosing one of the actions, which might be to draw a rail using that die. It might be to deliver to an uh, deliver a cube to a certain space, or it might be to grab one of the tile powers because there are tiles in the middle that grant you certain powers to use, and you can kind of take those and and steal them from other people and those kinds of things. It's it's fun, but it's it's a pick up and deliver ro- uh, roll and write, and it, it's it's great fun. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's a solid roll and roll and write. I always play. Did you play with like the coal and all the other? I know you said the the little power tiles. So you played with that little mini expansion that was in there. The coal was the uh, I think wild goods. Yes, yeah. So yeah. you fill those in because. The coal is black, and so you can deliver that to any any sector of the map. doesn't doesn't matter what color. And so yes, we played with that because it's easy to just throw in. The only thing I didn't throw in yet was the order tiles, where basically you're trying to fulfill certain oh, orders okay. of cube colors, but hmm. easy hmm. enough to throw in. Yeah, I would say just throw it all in. I mean, if you're playing with gamers, just it's really easy to explain all of those little mini expansion and they really do kind of flesh out the whole game interesting i might have to give this a shot at some point before we move on i kind of wanted to talk about one game for each of us that is on a shelf of shame i know we didn't talk about it as a segment but it kind of might be interesting sort of stuff we get to the table i don't know we and maybe richie you can make it a transition (laughs) here's a game from your shelf of shame you can record over that i'll do something with that (laughs) no please keep that part in (laughs) no it's it's staying in there (laughs) so you're just talking about maybe a game that we would really like to get to the table that we haven't yes lately or have never gotten to the table either one i think is interesting so something that's been either 
burning mm. a hole in your shelf to get mm. onto the table or something that's been there a long time that you still mm. are literally kind of ashamed that you haven't pulled off yet? Uh, I got one. I definitely got one. All right. What is it? Uh, it's it's Kanban. Oh, yeah. I, I just keep really thinking to myself, I haven't played it in so long, and I do remember really liking it, but it's one of those games that I kind of forgot all the small details of the game, so I couldn't really just pull it out and teach it on a whim. So this past week, I have actually spent maybe a couple of hours setting the game up and running through some turns and uh, really reteaching myself the rules because I am itching to get that game back to the table. Kanban by Vitella Serta. I'm in. Uh, mine is Aeon's End. I've set this up on my table maybe four or five times, and, and then I pack it away after I've read the rules and then... The wife doesn't want to play it. No one else wants to play it. So then I put it away and I'll, you know, keep trying. But I'm, I'm getting real close to just playing it two-handed, just playing, you know, both sides of the table. But it, it's a deck builder, uh, cooperative, and uh, I, I really thought Jessica would like it because she likes deck builders. But, it, I mean, it looks kind of ugly, and that's probably why. It has that kind of funky art style a little bit, but it's not great. That's not the sub. The one that's subtitled Perdition's Mouth or something like that, right? <laughs> Maybe. I have no clue okay, what, the, what any subtitle is. That That's just not an appealing <laughs> name. But yeah. who's the designer? Do you know? Kevin Riley. Kevin Riley. Okay. I, I, I don't know that name. He may have designed other stuff. But isn't isn't this one, too, it's really... Uh, it's really important how your deck is laid out because you're kind of playing your cards based on the way they are in the deck or something like that. Possibly. I haven't played. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, like you said, it's on a show of shame. <laughs> what about you, Jen? I have got three starter sets on major, major sale of Legend of the Five Rings card game. And... I am really itching to give that a play. I, I really want to get it out. I've heard so many good things from Punching Cardboard and some of the other outlets, and it looks like a, a longer card game, but my kind of my kind of card game with some of the strategies, I love the idea of, of building decks and the way the different clans are gonna are gonna fight and kind of use use their powers together and have those synergies. I just it's hard, you know, when we meet, it's a two player game is not going to be sufficient and it's hard otherwise for that kind of game to get out at, at my house. So we almost played that the other night, but we ended up playing Matai and I. That's true. That's true. Yeah, I, I don't know it. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. Once don't you're worry, a card I don't game, think we'll probably think. it's it's the next time just me and Richie are hanging out. That's probably when it's gonna get played. All righty. Sounds good. <laughs> Richie, why don't you save us all from this and move us into a good old mailbag question? All right. We got an email from Ryan, and it reads, I have a question for the podcast. How do you each approach teaching a game, and do you think including theme helps? Ooh, that last, I know that last part's going to be uh, big for Chad. I remember that Azul teach when he was talking about the, <laughs> the Portuguese tiles. Come on now. They <laughs> asked. All right? They asked me. Sure. 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 <laughs> Chad, you start us off. What's your thoughts there? I do think theme helps people remember the mechanisms, okay? And that is a, a reason you just talked about Dan probably an hour ago and how he loves to teach games. What is the first thing Dan does when he teaches a game? I don't know. Well, he starts talking about the theme. He says, oh. okay, you're a baseball player. or We're all baseball players and we're doing this. 
it helps ground you in the game so you can remember why you're doing certain actions. Now, it's not the end-all be-all, but I think that that part of the teach is helpful. The other thing that it's important up front, and I kind of heard the opposite from somebody the other day, not to talk about what, how to win first, but I feel like if you don't know how to win the game or what the object of the game is right away, you're going to lose all the other things. So I think talking about that up front is pretty important in a, in a game teach as well. What do you think, Cloud? Well, for me, you know, I feel like I'm I'm a good teacher. I don't know if I'm a great teacher. Um, Dan is a very, very, very good teacher. Now, I probably ignore all the parts that he talks about theme and just waits for him to start talking mechanics because I don't need it. But for somebody who does need it, I mean, I think that can be a good thing. When I teach Richie a game, I will not say one word about theme, period. And Richie doesn't need it, and he understands game mechanics, and I can just roll with it. When I teach you a game, and I'm looking at you, Chad, since no one can see me looking at you out there in, in radio. <laughs> Why do I keep calling it radio world, podcast world? I, ha I give you theme. I try to, at least. I at least say this is a basic theme because it helps for you to wrap your head around the mechanism. I think it just matters on what audience you're teaching the game to. Right, and I think that's teaching in general, too. I mean, you, you're teaching... Whether you're teaching chemistry or you're teaching, you have to direct it to the person that you're teaching to as best you can, right? Right, right, absolutely. And like Clef said, I, I, I don't need theme when I'm being taught a game, and I usually won't include it when I'm teaching a game. I, I might if it makes sense, but I'm most of the time I'm not. Like uh, Lisboa, when people talk about how thematic that is, <clears throat> like I don't, I don't want the story, I guess, in that game. And I know that that is a big part for a lot of people, and people love, like uh, a lot of UA games have that, that whole book of story. I, a lot of times I, I throw that out. If I'm playing on Keep of the Game, I chuck that just to save space in the box. But as far as how I go about uh, teaching a game, and I, I, I'm i an okay teacher. I don't I don't hang my hat on it. I'm I'm happy when I'm in this group because usually Clef's the one teaching, and I don't have to teach because the rest of my groups, I'm the teacher since I'm usually the one bringing the game. So it's nice just to get a break right. from, <laughs> from teaching. But like I'll usually try to have some type of player aids I usually do actually start at the beginning of the rules teach and say, you know, what we're doing. I don't necessarily try to get into like how you win as far as strategy, but like, you know, how you what we're doing here to score points to win, basically. Yeah. And that's that's what I was referring to. And I will say what you're talking to what you're talking about. And I will completely agree with you there. The thing, the 40 page booklet about the Frisian sheep in Fields of Arl is not helpful for teaching the game. So I agree with you right. there. I'm talking about in Lisboa, for example, you have those rubble cubes. Okay. <laughs> hold, hold on. Stay hold with on, me. Hold on. You mean the red, the blue, and the yes. tan cube? Right. Okay. Yes. Okay. So those cubes, which are also fire, water, and earthquake. Okay. So anyway, you are taking those cubes and collecting them and putting them in blocks on your player board. Those, when you get a set, help you have more capacity in your warehouse for cards and shipping and all that kind of stuff. Now, in the in the booklet, in the in the game manual, it says the reason this is is because there were certain bricks, I can't think of the names, that they actually made from the earthquake rubble and helped it helped actually make the city stronger when they were rebuilding. That helps people remember, okay, when I'm getting these rubble, then I am built 
rebuilding my warehouse, making it bigger. So those kind of details are, are good sometimes, I think, to, to help stick in people's mind. And that's why Rado does that a lot, too. He has said, you know, this is my specialty. I'm, I'm you know. All I needed to know was collect red, blue, and whatever cube. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it, once again, it goes to your audience. When you're teaching Richie and I a game, we don't care about, you know, what the color cubes are. I mean, in fact, half the time, even in a game, if something is called, you know, you have cubes and they're called different things like cloth and wood or whatever, I just, just tell me brown, purple, and, and green or whatever. I don't care about what they are or why they're there. Now, this can go back to our last email discussion where, for me, this is where I even differentiate from Richie because at least he likes to have some nice components in the game and make it kind of blinged out to make it look nice. I don't even care if the cubes are just cubes in a game. Uh, they can't. Uh, unfortunately, the people listening to the podcast can't hear Richie and I's eyes rolling right now, but <laughs> we're not going to go there again. Anyway, I, I do agree with Richie about the player aids, and that's one thing I really appreciate that Richie does when he teaches a game is he often prints off player aids on BGG and will laminate those, and that is a tremendous help to have that sitting in front of you. And honestly, in this day and age, and I'll, I'll say that about some of the other games we played, it is it's much nicer and welcoming to be able to set that in front of somebody and say, okay, this is all the actions for the game. So you have it right in front of you because the people that I sometimes play with outside of this group get intimidated fairly easily. And so having sheets like that, that you're saying everything you need to know is right here. It's okay. All right. You know, that can make a big difference I think as well. Yeah. And another reason I do it is just because when you go through like a longer rules teach, a lot of people check out. It is just natural for them to check out. You can't not. Right. Even even experienced gamers can at times. Yeah. I mean, I check out a little bit sometimes if I'm like drowning in rules. Yes. Right. And then and, and so questions are going to come up and I'd rather have them, you know, have their own sheet that has a condensed, you know, rule set on there that they can look up the question themselves and not have to stop me during the rules teach or, you know, during the game, ask me five or ten times. I think just to direct Ryan, I think one of the best examples of rules teaching and i've talked to him about this a little bit at origins too but still paul grogan with gaming rules does a really good job of breaking it down and he will also uh, do a live teach where he just feeds you not everything at once just the things that you need to know so because he he feels like what what you just said richie the average human beings check out check out after five minutes so if you have more than that they can't retain that, and they're going to be asking it anyway. So how do I just feed you what you need for this round, and you're just playing this first game to learn it. You're not you know, necessarily playing to get your high score. How do I feed you that information? And then we move on, and you've got that part, and then we layer stuff on. Definitely. And so Ryan didn't ask this, but what about are there any pet peeves that you have, like when you're being taught a game or when you're teaching? Well, one, one I will say is when, when somebody's tuned out, expressly i mean when they are checking their phone and you're teaching that's that's really ir irritating so you don't know you really just because you don't know if they're listening or if they understand or if they're even interested so that's my number one i would say i know for me as far as when i'm being taught i hate it when someone says hey you want to play this game i'm like oh yeah yeah, yeah. i'm excited about playing that game and then all of a sudden they like all right yeah i'll teach you and then they pull out the rule book and then just start you know set up page 1.1 1. 1, and they start just reading the rule book like they don't really know how to play right <laughs> and I, 
I usually will not teach a game unless I've played it, at least like set it up and played through it myself a few rounds or something. I need to have some type of, you know, background right. in the game for me to teach the game. I one of my biggest is is my wife. Um <laughs> just, just your wife. That, that's I mean, my she's biggest got a strike against her already. <laughs> I hate it when I'm teaching her a game. Okay, or anybody, but her in particular, <laughs> when I'm teaching her a game, and then she'll be like, yeah, yeah, okay, I get it, all right, let's play. And then, like, two or three rounds into it, I'll go, oh, yeah, you didn't do this. Well, you didn't tell me that. Yeah, because you didn't let me finish teaching you all the rules. <laughs> I hate that. I mean, if you, I don't care if you want to rush me on and say, hey, let's just play, But and then you don't care if I, you know, if you've missed something or you're, it's a teaching game. But if you're going to be ticked off and then still trying to win the game, then, hey, you got to listen to all the rules. Yeah, I've never understood why why people do that. I've seen that happen, and my wife's done it a couple of times. And with Jessica, I'll do this, but then I'll be like, "All right, all right you go first. and then I'll just sit there and stare at her because she doesn't know how to play the game. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's sticky, right? That's sticky because I think that happens. So is that because is that because we're asking them to play a game that is has more rules than than they want to actually play, or 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 is that on us to find a way to parcel out those rules a little bit better? It is. It's probably a game that they don't want to play. But guess what, Chad? I have four hundred <laughs> board games. I gotta get them played. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Too bad if she doesn't want to play. It. <laughs> oh boy! All right, this is getting sticky. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I think we've answered Ryan's question. Hopefully, yeah, baby, in a roundabout way. <laughs> oh, yep. So thanks for that email, Ryan. And uh, if anyone else has any questions out there, go ahead and shoot them over to punchboardparadise at gmail.com. You can also contact us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, any of those social media platforms. Clef, we're going over to your Kickstarter corner. Do we have a Kickstarter corner today? We do not. But we do have some exciting news. What's that? We just got some of the most beautiful dice trays that i have ever seen these are i mean we're gonna we're gonna throw some pictures up we'll throw them up on our instagram and we'll throw them up on our slack channel and in our not our myspace because i was just told we don't have one of those but we're gonna throw those up and you guys got to see these these are amazing and one of our local listeners andy england he makes these hand makes these things and they are they're gorgeous yeah they're awesome yeah, so for our Kickstarter corner today, you know, I I think we should uh, kickstart his corner, his page, business. his yes, page. There right? we go. Yeah. So <laughs> he's on Etsy. He's on Etsy at Roland Skulls, I think. R O L L I N S K U L L S. Roland Skulls, and I think his page is kind of on hiatus right now because he's he's working on a few other things. But if you sign up and stuff, it, it will message you when he's when 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 he's back on, basically. But these are really nice dice trays. He did a few for us with our Punchboard Paradise logo on them. He gave us a couple different samples of the wood. Gosh, it's it's beautiful. Now, like I said, I I love my dice tray. It's beautiful. But when I went to go show Jessica, because you know Clef uh, sent me a picture of it. I showed her on my phone, and she just had this really annoyed look on her face. And I was like, well, what was wrong? I was like, look, this is pretty cool, huh? And <laughs> she goes, I was going to get that for you for Christmas this year. And she has a hard time buying for me because I buy everything that I want anyways. And a lot of my, like, anything that I, like, you could surprise me with, it probably has to come over from Germany or, and she's not going to go through all that. So usually I just buy my own Christmas gift. But this year she was going to, she was oh, so man. excited because she had planned out and she was going to she didn't even say anything to me about 
you know, what I wanted for my Christmas gift. She was just going to go ahead and do this. And so, Andy, you've made an enemy in my wife. <laughs> but like, Why don't you just go spend some time with Andy then? <laughs> <laughs> but at least she didn't order it. She had come close to ordering it. But well, yeah. I'll tell you what, these are really nice. And Andy brought it up to me the other day when I said, gosh, these are so great. Thank you so much. He said, hey, I mean, I, you know, if you want, I can make a couple more for your listeners. And so I told him, yeah, I'll get back to him. But I think that's a great idea. I think we, we're not, we'll, we'll run a contest, right? We're going to, details to follow here, okay? So keep listening. Next podcast, we should have some details. And we're going to run a contest on how to get some of these dice trays to you, okay? We'll we'll figure out how to enter, how to have you enter and all that kind of stuff. But I'm telling you, in the meantime, go check these out. Go check out Andy's Andy's dice trays. These are, these are really nice on Etsy. Bonus to Clef's Kickstarter Corner. We also have another local listener, Ryan Brockman, who has started making his own inserts for games with his own 3D printer. Now, I've never been much of a big insert guy, but I'll tell you this much. That Kalos insert that he did makes me go, oh, yeah, I want that insert. Because these are not like, and nothing wrong with, you know, like the broken meeple ones where you have to like put them together and everything and, you know, glue them and, you know, basically do an art project to get them going or whatever. Or, you know, you got some of the foam ones, but these are like nice, hard plastic and he like makes the, like the, instead of like just a little box or whatever with your player pieces, he made like houses. I mean, they look like the Kalos houses. It's amazing. And then in the main part of the board, he actually like has Kalos written out on it. You guys have got to go check this out on, he's got a site on Etsy that is, Richie, what was it again? Uh, it's 3D bit space. Okay. Yeah. So definitely go check this insert out. It is amazing. It's the first one he's done, but he's he's actually right now working on one for Carpe Diem, the new Stefan Feld game that nice. just came out. Yeah, so it looks just amazing. Definitely go check this out. And yeah, so that's, like I said, just a little bonus there. We've got some pretty talented listeners out yeah. there, guys. <laughs> and uh, Ryan, I'm going to have to talk to you because I am a, an insert person, so I got a list for you. And I do believe Ryan has on his page, he will make to order a game like if you you know email him and say hey i'd really be interested in this game he could look into making a special one for you and different colors and different things like that so yeah that's pretty neat very cool time to go on to the review fellas let's do it all right so architects of the west kingdom was designed by Shim Phillips and S.J. McDonald, and it has illustrations by Mihalo Dmitrievsky. That's exactly what I was just about to say. Thank you, Chad, though. I, I appreciate the assist. And it's from Garfield Games, right? Yes, absolutely. It is from Garfield Games. It's a worker placement game. Uh, object is to score the most victory points. The unique thing about this game is when you start the game off, you're going to actually start with all of your workers. It's not one of those games where you have to put out some work and try to get some more workers and they're off to the side. You have all your workers and you can go to a spot, at least the ones that have open circles, as many times as you want to. And when you do go to a spot, let's say you put your first meeple down, you get one wood. The second meeple, you put it down, now you're getting two wood and so on. And you can kind of make your the spots better and better. 
during the course of the game, you're gaining resources, uh, money, clay, gold, stuff like that. And then you're using those to, you have a hand of cards that you're either using to build these buildings that are on these cards, or you're using those cards to help build a cathedral. Now, all of that, though, is based also on the fact that you have a virtue track. And on this virtue track, you can either be at a spot where you're like so bad that you can't help build the cathedral, but you also get a skip out on some payments that are in the game called taxes. Or you can also be so good that you can't go to a certain places that's called the black market that are really good spots to go for lots of good resources, but you're too virtuous to go to those spots. And you kind of go up and down on this track, and it also can give you some positive and negative points at the uh, end of the game. It also has a mechanism where, as I was kind of saying, when you start to put out your people, each action gets better and better. There's also an action to, like, capture workers from another player to stop them from getting those actions that are increasing while they're putting out meeples. And then you can kind of put the people into their, their people into prison, and then they have ways to get them back. You're basically just kind of going through this game. It's kind of a, oh, probably I would say takes about an hour, plays one to five players, the way the game ends is just by every time somebody builds a building, they have to put one of their workers up on a track. And eventually when you hit a certain number, that triggers the end of the game. And like I said, at the end of the game, you get some points for different things like coins and uh, gold and marble and stuff like that. Whoever scores the most victory points is the winner. So like I said, there's a real basic overview of the game. All right. So let's move on to our first category, which would be... Art and components, right? Art and components. Yes. Richie, talk to us about the art and components. Uh, the art's beautiful. I love this art style. And this is the same artist that does like uh, Raiders of the North Seas, doing all the games for Garfil. Garfil games. He, he, I think it's it's a weird, because at first I thought it was Garp Hill, but I heard in an interview, actually across the, across the board podcast interview, that it's named after his dad, Gary Phillips. So Garfil games. But okay. he... I agree with you. Mihalo Dmitrievsky has a great art style, and he did the whole North Sea trilogy, I think, that, that was previously put out, Raiders right. of the North Sea and stuff. Clef, this is your game. You kickstarted it. Yeah, I did kickstart this. I was really excited about it. Uh, I did really like Raiders of the North Sea, and I will agree it it has very similar art style, and which it is. It's I don't even know what you'd call it. Kind of medieval cartoonish kind of maybe? Yeah, uh, pretty much. Yeah, sure. I don't know. Sure, I, maybe I just coined something new. I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's cool. I definitely I think the art is is very manageable. I think the graphic design is very well done. I I don't. I have played the game a few times, and I absolutely can tell everything from the board really well. So, I, which is one thing I really uh, like about art style too. Yeah, you very rarely have to go to the card index to see what something means. I think Shim Phillips actually does do some graphic design or or something like that. I get the idea. Again, yeah. I'm just randomly speculating, which <laughs> Kind of like what you did last episode yeah, yeah. Uh, with uh, Alexander Fister's game where yeah. uh, Ben Maddox called you out and yeah. said, yeah, you didn't know what you were talking about? Yep. Yeah, okay, just checking. <laughs> but anyway, it looks like he is, so that's what I'm going to go with. It okay. looks like he is a graphic designer. <laughs> all right, all right, we'll go with it. You didn't get the coins, though, with this one. This has metal coins that you could get, but you... You opted not to. Yeah, I mean, they were the same metal coins that were in, in Raiders. I have those coins. I have my own metal coins. I have, you know, poker chips. I, I just, at that point, I just didn't feel like, I think it was like another $15 add-on. It just wasn't quite worth it. For me, 
If I didn't have Raiders, I probably would have done it. But since I have the same exact coins and Raiders, I just figured, you know, I would skip on it. This did something different from Raiders, though, in the selling of it, I think, because they offer the coins, however, they offer them separately, which we have uh, we have Norm from the game shop. And he said with Raiders, he wasn't really happy about it because he didn't feel like it could sell as well as it could have because the MSRP was high for a small box and people didn't necessarily realize that they were getting metal coins and that sort of thing. So this still has that small box, but you can add on the coins in the retail version. So I think they were kind of probably listening to maybe some of the game store owners there, and that was kind of interesting. Let's move on to the next category, which is gameplay. What did you guys think about the gameplay of Architects of the West Kingdom? Well, I I liked it. And it was when I first started playing it, um, I got in a two-player game, I think, the first time I played it, which wasn't maybe where it shines, I don't think. It, it two players wasn't wasn't the best, but I still thought it was neat, and I liked, like I said, I really like the mechanism of every time I put a worker down in the same spot, if I have other workers there, my action gets better and better and better. I, I think that's a really neat aspect of the game, and I also like the aspect of that somebody else can go and stop you from continuing, you know, so it's, you have that decision of, am I going to continue to do what I'm trying to do? Or am I going to go try to stop my opponents from what they're trying to do? So I liked that. Um, as I played it a few more times, I got into, you know, four player game and I got a five player game in. And I'll tell you, as far as a five player game, outstanding because your turns are so quick and the game plays so fast that usually you play a Euro game at five and, you know, whoa, sit down and buckle up because it's going to be a while. Didn't seem to affect the game at all. I mean, still moved at a good pace. Uh, so, yeah, so I think the gameplay is is good. I think it's very good. That's a that's a good point about the game time. Richie, what did you what did you think of the gameplay? I, and I would agree with a lot. I think it's a solid game. I actually did not care for Raiders of the North Sea, so I wasn't, you know, that excited about playing this at first but getting into this i I really like being able to capture people and like i said the more the merrier in this game the more people out there the more interesting it is the more um that capturing and sending people to prison uh, is you know a lot more interactive when you have a lot more people out there and i also like the assistance how those kind of factor in and make your uh, the different spots a little bit more powerful for you overall i would say it's like solid kind of like almost like an intro into worker placement yeah, it's got a little bit of stuff layered on top, but it's a pretty a pretty light to light medium game, I would say. There it's it's fairly easy for a new gamer to follow, I would think. Now, I would this be their first play? No, but after, you know, Ticket to Ride in Alhambra, yeah, you could you could teach this, I think, fairly easily. I think that what I like about the the game as well is is you can tell and I've heard this from him, from him in interviews, that the mechanism sort of came first. Sort of like, what if there was a game where the more things you put down, the exponentially better your actions become? And that's kind of where this comes from. And you can see it blossom there. Not, not to say that that there isn't some theme to this game, if, if that's what you're looking for. Like I said, the art style really evokes what it's, what it's trying to, to get to. But I think that... The mechanism is is what's interesting here. And I like the push and pull of the virtue track, too. So you're trying to decide, well, do I really want to take this short-term benefit and go way down on the virtue track? Or 
should I kind of try to stay above because maybe the next turn I'm going to try to build that cathedral. And I, if I go down too far, I'm not going to be able to do that. And there's a race up the cathedral track too, so that only a certain amount of people can go up there. And that shines actually at five as well because it gets tighter. They don't scale, unfortunately, that cathedral track. And so there are only a couple of people that can get to the top and the top spots about 20 points, which for most of the games I've played in, that's at least half your points right there at the end game. That can be a, a, a big amount. Yeah, I like the Virtue Track, even though I don't think I've ever helped build the cathedral. I'm always, you know, around You're with the naughty. seedy people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hanging out at the black uh, market and getting into some stuff. But it's interesting. I do like the, uh, it's not a huge swing in points, but I mean, in this game, like our last game that we played, we were all within five points of each other. Oh, yeah. You know, at least. The scores, so it, it does make a difference. But yeah, it, it is very interesting. And I like that if you're too good, you can't go to the black market. If you're too bad, you can't go uh, and help the cathedral. So it is interesting. While we're talking about player count, let's talk about the solo game. Now, Clef, I know you, you haven't gotten to play that, but Richie and I have played it. Richie, what did you think of the solo game? It was okay. It wasn't wasn't my favorite. Um, I'm picky about what games I'm going to go through the trouble of setting up to play. So you flip through a deck and that's what the, the bot will basically with the action that they'll do. And I think it, it runs smoothly. It makes sense. It was interesting, but I think I won like I had like 50 points and the, the bot had like 18 points. So it wasn't particularly challenging, uh, but I only had that one play as well. See, now I just played once too. Our, Ours were much closer, but I think it depends on how that deck comes out. One of the things that I actually liked the push and the pull of, there's one one part where if they go to the king's, I can't remember what it is, the king's storehouse. The, yes, the king's storehouse. If they go to the king's storehouse, they get marble each time they go, and they get marble for each worker that is there. So the deck in one part of my game, I, I won, but it was much closer because the I was trying to do my own thing really quickly to make sure I didn't get messed up. And he kept every every card turn was the king's warehouse. Well, all of a sudden he had like set, you know, seven marble from that. Or maybe it was the virtue track. There's another thing that compounds the virtue track too. So you can shoot hmm. up like four or five spots in one turn. And so that was a really interesting push-pull for me because you have to look at that and go. If I don't clear that worker space and, and arrest his guys right now, the next turn he's going to shoot up five points. And that's that's pretty big in this game. So that was kind of interesting. And like I said, I'm, I don't like to set up Caverna or Fields of Arl, even though I love those games, because of the huge setup time. And this was comparatively much easier and quicker. So that's that's a point. If you if if you like solo games, that's a point for this, in my, in my opinion. So what I'm hearing is, Richie, eh, you... Yeah, not too bad. Yeah, I, like I said, I like the solo, solo game. Okay. Now there is a an easier and a hard mode. I played on the easier easier side of things, but I f I feel like probably once you've got ten plays of it, you know, you're probably done with the solo mode at least because you can kind of predict. Even though you don't know how the cards are going to come out, you can kind of plan for for what's going to happen a little bit. Yeah, know? it's not a big deck. I mean, every once in a while, a more powerful card will get mixed in. I can't remember what the trigger is for that, but but even that's not a big deck either. So you, you'll know the cards pretty quickly. So now that we've talked about that, that kind of leads into our next category, which is really variability and replayability for this game. Clef, you've played it probably the most of all of us. I think I've had three or four plays. Richie, you've had... Uh, four plays. And I've had seven. Okay. So you're probably the best 
one to talk about variability and replayability? Not at shining point, unfortunately. Um, it is getting very samey to me now. There's not really, you could say, well, you get different building cards each time, but honestly, the building cards don't do that much. I mean, they're really just kind of victory points, and then you deal with whatever's on them. And the people that come out, the assistants, once again, it's there's not a huge jump in variability there. You're pretty much playing the same game. Even when you play with the special player powers, it doesn't really make the game all that much different. I don't, in fact, I mean, the past three games, I think I've just, it's almost like it's on autopilot for me now. I mean, I'm almost done with my turn before the other guys even, you know, whoever's in front of me is going just because it's just like, okay, yep, I'm all right. I'm just going to go get a bunch of clay. Oh, somebody stopped me from getting clay. Okay, now I'm going to go get a bunch of wood, you know, type of thing. Now, that's me and I'm, you know, maybe I'm a little more focused in games than want a little bit more challenge. You know, for some people that were probably just having a lot of fun and, you know, they think it's their end of the theme, like, oh, I'm going to go capture you. Maybe they could have some more variability and replayability in that. But for me, it's pretty low on the scale for for variability for sure yeah i mean it's probably average i don't i don't think there's anything i mean the actual gameplay itself does feel a little samey because you you are kind of doing the same thing over and over again uh the assistance deck isn't that big of a you know the the different powers aren't you know extremely variable so i mean they they all kind of do the same thing just with a different resource and then the buildings deck you kind of get used to the buildings after a few plays you'll you'll go through that deck pretty quick as far as being able to see what buildings are in there so i think it's average i think you know it there's i have not gotten to the point where i if someone set it up on the table i you know be like oh no i've played that way too much or anything like that i think it, it does have a few plays in it i would i would agree it's it's about average the nice thing about a game like this if you're really if you're really into it is that a new deck can add some life i mean just a right. deck of cards can really do that the interesting thing about and this i guess goes back to the gameplay but it sort of gave me the feeling of Charterstone in a way where it's the fast turns and you're putting stuff down and picking stuff up real quick but when you do it, it feels very sort of rinse and repeat after a while. So I did have that feeling about it. The gameplay itself, luckily the game doesn't really overstay its welcome. So it is going quick. But the gameplay of what you're doing kind of feels, there's, let's put it this way, there's not a change to the board state. In some games, the board state really changes. For example, Great Western Trail, you've got these buildings out and now your strategy is going to change on how you how how you're doing things. So really in this game, it gets to feel a little bit samey because the board state, the game state doesn't change a whole lot. And and that's where I think it, it falls down a little bit in, in variability and replayability. Yeah, I mean, and Richie, I mean, you, you said you have maybe, you know, a few more plays. I hate to say this, but I'm probably done. You know, I mean, I if somebody really was like, hey, I really want to play that again. And, you know, maybe I had a four or five players that wanted to play it. I think I could give it another, sh- you know, I'd play it again. But I think I'm kind of on the, I've done this, I've played it. I'm ready to move on. So, I, you know, like I said, though, maybe that's just because I have played it, you know, seven times now. That suggests to me that we're moving into to, to our final thoughts and our ratings. So before we hit that, Richie, could you give the listeners our sort of updated rating scale? Definitely. So a one is a game that makes you miserable that you never want to play again. And then a six, a game that is a contender for top 10 of all time for you. We were already into it. Why don't we move to your to your final your final rating and and final thoughts? Yeah, I'll, I'll start here. Um, the game when I first played it, 
very excited. I enjoyed it a lot. It was one of those that, you know, my first couple plays, I was like, yeah, I really want to play this again. It started to go down. The gameplay itself hasn't gone downhill. Just the lack of variability kind of has made it less wanting now to hit my table. I still like the mechanism, and I really like the adding workers, making better actions. I really like the virtue track. I think that's a really cool aspect to the game where it's kind of you can do certain things when you're at certain points of the virtue and then you can't do other things. I, I think that's really cool too. And I don't even mind the capturing of it. I, I guess what I would say is for me, I would like to see some of these mechanisms put into a deeper, heavier type of Euro game because I think they could be really interesting. So good game. I enjoy it. It's on, I'm going to tell you honestly, it's on the fence right now. I'm, I'm going to go with a three because I, I really do enjoy this game. And I, I don't want to, I mean, this is not a, you know, a, a bad game in any sense. I'm not miserable when I'm playing. I, I, I'm having fun. I enjoy it. A little bit of autopilot, like I said, right now makes it just a little, not, not be able to quite get to that four. Could I sell this game right now and be okay? Yes. You know, if it's in my collection, am I upset about it? No. I mean, if, you know, certain people came over, it is that step a little bit up from gateway games. So, you know, roundabout way for talking for six hours, sorry about this, is a three. That's that's what I'm going to go with is, is a three. So, I don't know. Chad, what, what's your thoughts on it? Well, along those same lines, if you told me that you sold this game, I I I would say, huh, okay. And I, I wouldn't be sad that it went out of the collection. But if if somebody came over soon and said, hey, let's play that sitting on cleft shelf, I'd say, yeah, sure, let's bust it out. Why not? I I enjoyed it. I would even possibly, if I had it in my own collection, I would even possibly play solo again just because I was interested with some of the things that came up. I would, like I said, play it again because of the the higher player count and the fact that it goes fast is is another is another thing in its favor. I, I really think that I, I enjoy it, but I don't need to own it and I don't need either of you to own it. So that really says a three to me because that's what we talked about. You you would play it, but you're okay with not not owning it. And four is a game that you would own. And I just I enjoy my plays of it, but I don't feel any compulsion to own it. There are so many games out there now, and it's just all of them are vying for our time. It's not a bad game, but for me, like you said, I think I want something a little bit heavier. I have Raiders of the North Sea, and I have the expansions, and the thing about that game is it's a lighter worker placement game that my son will play, and then I can throw the expansions in a little bit if I want to to do something a little bit heavier with it. I don't I don't love all of them, but if you made me choose right now, I would still keep my Raiders just because that does some of the same things. It doesn't have the great mechanism, and that's why I'd still want to play it. But for for me owning it because my son likes to play Raiders, I I want a heavier game than this, and that's just my personal taste. I love the mechanism, and like you said, I'd like to see it in something a little bit heavier because it just sits in the middle of things a little bit. It's not, hey, we're going to get out this gateway game and play it with a bunch of new people to the hobby. It's right in the middle. There's my my vote of three. Richie, take us home. I'm going to echo a lot of what you guys have said. It, I didn't. I don't like Raiders. I, I don't hate it, but it. And I guess I've only played it with the expansions, and it seemed like you know when you see like a little kid put on their their dad's clothes. It just seems like it's a gateway game that had too much tacked onto it with that expansion. Uh, now, this I, I enjoyed a little bit more. So I'd probably give Raiders a two, and this is going to come in at a three. I like it a little bit more. Uh, I I would definitely probably use it as a gateway game. It, you know, it falls into that Lords of Waterdeep, you know, level for me. I, I think it's 
easy easy enough to teach to anyone. Um, and I and I like the you know all the different workers that you get right up the front. But you know, at the end of the day, am I going to go and pull it off the shelf or tell one of you to go get it? Probably not. I I do own it. I'll probably hang on to it just for that you know gateway game. If I have someone that I want to introduce to worker placement, and for some reason I. I choose this game. I don't know if I'm still going to be on my shelf after this, but <laughs> <laughs> it's a three uh, for me. So, and here's what I'm hearing overall. I mean, we all had the same review on this. It's I think part of this too is our personal taste for a little bit heavier games. That's, that's what I'm going to say with this. And so what I would say is if you're a listener and you own all the other North Sea games and stuff, I'd still check this out. This might be right up your alley for you. If you really like those, go go really check this out. If you're a solo player, I thought it's an interesting solo game, so it might be for you. Go check this out. But our final our final ratings are threes across the board, and that is our review of Architects of the West Kingdom by S.J. McDonald and Shim Phillips from Garfield Games. I, I think I've awoken the Richie trivia. I don't even know what that is. I don't How do you awake the Richie trivia? Because <laughs> uh, I think Richie's like, all right, Clef, it's time for you to see if you can oh, answer okay. any of these questions. Yeah, so but wants- you have to get dragged in with me. Yeah, of course. That's that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, I'm tired of looking uh, like a fool on this podcast. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you you want help with that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> because, because none of us are... Uh, Having any problem with that? <laughs> All right, fellas. So we're going to do a little trivia. And All right. Do we need our whiteboards? No. You're no. going to buzz in. You want to buzz? With, right. your, with okay. your mouth. Okay. So you'll just go. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Can I get Can I get Alexa to, to make a buzzing? <laughs> there you go. So it's going to be five questions. The answers themselves are board games, or at least part of the answer is a board game. The name, the title of a board game. All right. Okay. And since we reviewed Architects of the West Kingdom, all the board games, not necessarily the questions, but all the board games have something to do with architecture or building in some way. All right? Oh, all right. Uh, Thanks for the theme. I think my wife just called me. (laughs) I got to (laughs) go. Oh, boy. All All right. right. Do we want to start easy? Let's start easy. Yeah, we got to warm up. We got to ease into this, right? (laughs) Yeah, we're going to ease into this. Okay. All right, here's the first question. Buzz. <laughs> Just testing. Premature testing buzzing. my buzz. Just testing to make sure the buzzer works. <laughs> yeah. All right, the first question. So name the historical novel by Welsh author Ken Follett. Buzz! Buzz! Ooh, that was close. I think that was Clef. He was just louder. <laughs> <laughs> hey, nothing about that. The Pillars of the Earth. Ding, ding, ding. The heck out. One Ooh. point for Clef. <laughs> might need... be my only point. <laughs> yeah, we might need actual buzzers here. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna, now, now, you, now I'm going to scream. <laughs> <laughs> All right, question two. I'm going to need the, the plural for this, okay? This item is a reproduction of a technical drawing, an architectural plan, or an Buzz. engineering... Blueprints. Correct. All right, so we got one and one. Yeah. Yes. All right, question number three. Okay, I got this one. Where was Albert Einstein born? Buzz. Chad? Grand Austria Hotel? No. Uh, how about Brussels? Well, you're, you're going in the right direction. Uh, Ohm. 
Oh, God. Germany. I knew almost going to be an answer, too, but I didn't know that was that one. Dang it. All right. We How'd, are you on... know that was gonna... How'd you know that I was I just figured Ulm would be one of the things because Richie loves that I game love and it has, architect... <laughs> it has a lot of architecture in it. <laughs> Darn it. All right. Question number four. We're still tied up. Okay. So this idiom means to be involved in something at its inception, especially a venture or an investment. This idiom means to be involved in something at its inception, especially a venture or an investment. I do have clues if you need a clue. Buzz? Go ahead. No, I don't know. <laughs> well, I don't want to be stupid here. Be stupid. Stockpile? No, that was stupid. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, I don't know. I was stocks or something. <laughs> Thank, thanks, Richie. Thanks for making me feel better. No stupid uh, questions. Yeah. Except, oh, that was no, stupid. stupid. <laughs> oh, I love asking the questions. It feels yeah, so, much, so better. much more fun, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It feels All right, I'll take that clue now since this guy's <laughs> out running for, yeah. for asking or giving stupid answers. <laughs> Clef and I played this uh, at the 24-hour uh, marathon while you were playing Lisboa. Produced by TMG. Just got a second it. printing if, if, that's only being sold on, through the on, Board Game Geek store. I just have to, I just, just give me a second. I just want, you keep thinking. I just want to know, do I have an option to get back in if Chad answers wrong now? If Chad answers wrong, I'll give you a half point if you get, get it. Because I now have it. I, 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 it's gone. I'm sorry. All right, Clef, for the half point. Ground floor. What's the idiom? Investment? <laughs> in on the ground floor. But yes, ground floor oh, is okay. the correct <laughs> answer. That's when you said investment and starting a, my stocks was in my head, uh, like trying yeah, to get yeah. in early on a stock or something. So then stockpile is what came to my totally mind. Totally forgot you guys played that. That's a really good game, by the way. Really I always good. play that. Show you I that. don't want to yeah. play that game. I might pick up the second edition. It looks yep. pretty good. Oh, yeah. And that Harold Leesky art. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. looks awesome. An- another by game Spielworks. that plays really good at, at a higher player count for yes, a euro. Definitely. Yeah. All right. This is the last question, fellas. All right. We'll do double points. Give you a chance here, Chad. Well, he's only got a half point. Sure. Let's give 30 points for this one. <laughs> All right. The last question. This is the birthplace of Dr. Evil and is sometimes referred to as the Venice of the North. Lancashire? Murano? I didn't hear a buzz. Oh, buzz. No, you're both wrong. Oh. <laughs> well, I- I haven't gotten a brass reference in this <laughs> no. episode yet. So. I, I did not make any of the questions about brass. <laughs> All right. So your clue. Um, okay. Clue. Here. The designer was drafted onto Chad's team ah. this episode. Buzz again? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Rialto? No. Oh. Are you kidding? Is it really? All right. The it's next the... clue. You want to uh, yep. clue? I want to know the clue. Yeah. Uh, I gave Chad I know what it is. A, an, a mini expansion that involves animals for this game that can, I believe it can only be purchased over in Germany. Agricola? Dude. <laughs> no. I mean, I had the designer right, right? You do have the designer so right. So it's Bruges? Correct. Yes, oh, 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 okay. All right. Well, well, the meeple thing threw me. I was thinking animal meeples. Good. All right. I feel good. I really, I didn't want you guys to do well. You didn't do well. So. <laughs> you stink. <laughs> what game am I thinking of right now? Brass. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> so mission accomplished. Yeah. You did a good job there, Richie. All right. All right. Well, listen. Thank you, everybody, for listening. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to our YouTube feed at Punchboard Paradise on YouTube. We're also at on Facebook at Punchboard Paradise. We're on Twitter at Punchboarders. We're on Instagram at Punchboard Paradise. 
And we're on Guild 3227, so go check that stuff out too. And shoot us an email if you have any questions for us. Incidentally, you should join our Guild 3227 because we're going to put up a poll. We have a lot of games right around this time that are coming in that we want to get reviewed. Normally we do a draft in here, but we're going to review for next time. We're going to review Teotihuacan by Daniel Tashini. But then after that, we've got some other ones to be reviewed. So we're going to put up a poll on our guild page and y'all are going to vote and let us know what you would like to be reviewed next. We've got Underwater Cities by Vladimir Suhi. We've got Thunderstone Quest by Mike Elliott and company. We've got 1846 by Thomas Lehman. And we've got Goris Maximus by Connor Magui. Check out all four of those. Like I said... Teotihuacan is next, but you can get a say in what you want to hear. So check out that guild page, subscribe to us, and we'll we'll listen to what you say. Whatever gets the most votes is what goes. That's it for episode 21 of the Punchboard Paradise podcast. I'm Chad, and I'm saying thank you for listening to us. Hey, thank you, everybody. Have a great night. Happy holidays, everyone. Oh, before you go, Punchboarders, real quick update. So Chad and myself are going to be traveling over the holidays, which has really thrown a wrench into our recording schedule. So the next episode, uh, episode 22, would normally come out on January 2nd. That's not going to happen. So the plan is still to release the same amount of episodes in January. Just with the holidays, it's going to throw uh, things off a little bit. So those episodes will be coming out a little bit later. Uh, Just keep track of us on social media, and we will keep you updated there. Once again, happy holidays, everyone. Thank you for listening.